this session today, we're going to talk about thinking a little bit differently about microchurches. I want you to be thinking of missional microsites. Now, why would I say that? Well, because we've kind of gotten used to the idea of a multi-site church in America, what I call level 3.5. Uh, when we start to introduce a concept like microchurch to some people, it's threatening because it's new, although it's as old as the New Testament itself. Uh, you find it in, you know, all throughout the book of Acts. But as we get into the, the concept of just the, the fact that there's a bridge between and that you, you know, you could stay in your own church and you could be leading a missional microsite, um, you know, on Tuesday nights or Sunday night or whenever. It's a nice um, bridge for people to think. And of course, as soon as you do this, there are going to be some people who are going to decide, hey, we're on our own. We're going for it. And then, of course, you just let them go, and that's a really great thing. As we approach this, we want to talk a little bit about the purpose of microchurch. It's not to make your church better, although it will do that. It's not to make your church bigger, although it will do that too. And it's not an end in itself in terms of planting churches. We know that if we get into planting microsites, they're going to, some of them grow into microchurches that are autonomous, and some of them are going to grow into very large churches, maybe larger than the church that, you know, launched them in the beginning. What this is really all about is that every single ethnos in the world, every single people group in the world comes under the lordship of Jesus, that we are making disciples in every people group that we possibly can. That's what it's all about. And so as we get into this, I want to talk a little bit about that, what I think is the sort of confused, convoluted um, theology of the American church. Uh, first, we put ecclesiology at the base of the pyramid. You know, I've talked to people who said you can't do microchurch because how can a microchurch have a board of elders? I mean, just kind of some pretty ridiculous arguments if you ask me. I mean, if we're starting a microchurch, the board of elders are the church that sent you out. And as you grow, well, then your things are going to take care of themselves under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So but, but when we put ecclesiology, which largely comes from our denominational polity, or it comes from the latest church growth book that we read, and we, we make that the basis of everything, then we pile on top of that Christology because, you know, we're into evangelism. And then finally, we get around to missiology. And by the time that we're at missiology, we're, we're just trying to gather people into our church and they look a lot like us and we're not reaching the different people groups that are out there that I keep hammering on and hammering on about. And so the problem with the theology of the American church is that it's a congregational centric. It's all about us. It's got a church growth and orientation. It's level three addition rather than level four reproduction or level five multiplication. And then we have come around to a very, very much human-centered evangelism. And, you know, we can just go on and on and on about this, but it's all about helping you to be all the person that you could be, helping you to feel better about yourself, helping you to experience uh, a worship experience that's fun and enjoyable for you. Um, make, you know, just all of these things that have to do with people, it's not about declaring the lordship of Jesus in their life and calling them into a life of submission and surrender that might cost them their very life before it's all over. And so as we would take a little bit more of a biblical approach, then I wanted to just kind of change the pyramid around to where Christology is the basis. You know, I, I've gone through a thing. We're starting a microchurch on Saturday nights. And uh, one of my friends taught in a, in a large church for many years. 
uh, a course on astronomy. He, he's been in astronomy not ever since I knew him. Uh, the story is that he, he was in the second most difficult engineering school in the United States in New York City. He lived in the Bronx in kind of a slum area, half Jewish, half Italian kid, um, grows up an atheist. He knows he's smart. He doesn't need God. And he manages to make it through the first semester and some of the hardest finals that he'd ever taken in his life. He and his buddy got really drunk. They said they actually did cartwheels through one of the busiest intersections in New York City. And then the cops were after him. Together, the two of them drank a whole fifth of whiskey. And so they're going to blast it out of their mind. And somehow he makes it into the Bronx in his neighborhood. And he flops down in a park in the middle of the night. And he looks up and he beholds this, the universe. And it, it just dawns on him. This didn't just happen. There had to be. There had to be somebody that made this happen. So now at this point, he's decided he believes in God. It's going to take like eight or 10 more years before he finally surrenders his life to Christ or even believes that there's reality in Jesus. He saw that in his girlfriend who stopped sleeping with him and he had to take her seriously about that. But along the way, he got into astronomy and he's one of these people that just goes nuts on everything he does. So, he, you know, when we were friends living in Manhattan Beach, California, he dug down four feet in his backyard and made a four foot by four foot by four foot concrete cube so it would be stable and bought the biggest personal telescope you can buy so he could just sit and look at the stars. Well, the upshot of all that is he keeps up on astronomy. And so we, we sat around and, and we had this incredible uh, lesson about the glory of God and and, it, and it, it really all starts with just looking at a dark night sky, which is, to me, more awe-inspiring than those beautiful pictures that you get in the Hubble telescope. And he, he taught us things like, if I gave you a trillion dollars and you could just, you, you, in $100 bills, and you could just count one a second, it would just take you um, 327 years to count all that money uh, without eating, sleeping, doing anything but counting money. Uh, and, and he, and he kind of helps stretch our mind to the to the size of the universe and and what a light year really is and and how you know the, the nearest um, galaxy to us is many light years away and just it, it, it just I just can't tell you the worship experience that I had just in my heart I'm watching this video um, I'm, I'm so impressed with God but the little dirty secret in my life is that I'm a skeptic and I doubt a lot of things and quite honestly if you take the gospel out of context. It doesn't really make sense. It almost seems like a fairy story. You know, God becomes a man, dies for our sins, you know, all by itself. But if you contextualize it with Romans 1, and you contextualize that with the first three chapters of Genesis, and you wrap that up in a little paper, it's all about what science is discovering on the macro level and the micro level. All of a sudden, man, Jesus makes every bit of sense that possibly could. And so in my life, I've had times of doubts, and it's usually been science as, as I see that more and more and more that we discover from the ancient days of, 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 of Charles Darwin, who couldn't have known the things that microbiologists are discovering today, that this, this has to be God. It just has to be God, and it centers on the person of Jesus Christ, and that's where we have to begin. And, and you know, Jesus told us, like, that we're supposed to love God with all our heart. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we are supposed to go and take the authority he gives to us and make disciples of every, every people group in the world. Now, 
now, now we've introduced missiology to Gen Matthew chapter 28 is, is, is our missiology. It's our mission. And so it changes the whole nature of the church. If you build on Christ and then you build on mission, then you start doing things where you're, you're reaching into people groups. You know, some guys online doing a, 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 some kind of a micro church for gamers. Uh, somebody is trying to help young black girls in, in Tampa, Florida, not end up in prostitution. There, you know, my friend Brian Sanders pastors a, a, a group of over 200 microchurches in something called the Tampa Underground. They have, uh, they have a ministry called Hula Hoops for Happiness, and it's actually a little microchurch. They reached into the community in the weirdest way possible. But then you add to that ecclesiology. And you know what? If you're, if you're Jesus-centered and you are focused on mission, then the church is going to bend to Jesus and it's going to bend to the mission rather than we're always asking the mission to bend to somebody's stupid set of rules about what a church should do or what a church should not do. And we're, we're going we're gonna to cross the racial divide. We're going to cross the, the divide into you know, women and ministry. All of these things are going to take a different shape if we start with Jesus and then we build with mission. And then from there, we begin to get our ecclesiology. And we're going to be able to stand up against things that um, kind of get in our way in, in terms of doing the gospel. As we approach this in this session, here are just three teaching insights that I want to give to you. First is that you would present microchurch as a church planting means and not an end. We're not interested in microchurch. We're interested in, here's a tool that doesn't cost very much money, can include a whole lot more people who are capable of leading microchurches, can give them vision for reaching people pockets that they haven't thought of at, at this point. It just doesn't cost very much money. The second insight that I want to add here is for you to begin to gather metaphors, even diagrams, if you stumble across stuff, that would build off the idea of intentionally focusing on what I'm going to call missional microsites. Now, what am I saying? Well, a missional microsite is a microchurch. It's just that you add the word missional to it, and all of a sudden, Great Commission becomes very, very important. And then you take the concept of a microsite rather than a microchurch, and it's easy bridge into change for people who struggle with change. And then in teaching, I would really, really, really want to juxtapose the church that I meet in the book of Acts in chapters 1 and 2 with the church that I meet again in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, where it, it's now in Galilee, which is, you know, 70, 80 miles away. Uh, they can't all be meeting in the temple in Jerusalem. So that Acts 2, 42 model that I've built my life on doesn't work in Galilee. And so what are they doing? Well, they're doing microchurch or microsites or whatever in the world we want to call them. But the gospel is escaping this congregation-centric, people-oriented thing, and, and people are, are coming to Jesus in danger of their lives. And that's pretty important. I want to finish this up with five stepping stones that I would do, just practical things that, that if I was introducing this into a congregation that I led, here's what I would do. The first thing, and I've said this before, and when we talked about introducing church multiplication to our culture, uh, for sure, I would introduce the concept from the pulpit. And again, I'm just going to say it over and over and over again. I'd go through a gospel, probably the gospel of Luke, and, and, and then Acts, because Luke wrote both of them. It's an easy bridge. And I'd pick up scriptures like 1 Corinthians 14, 26, and Romans 
the end of Romans, the whole end of Romans, really, where Paul greets all the people in Rome, but where he says, you know, I'm convinced, your brothers, that you yourselves are capable, that you that you, you are full of goodness, you have all knowledge, you're capable of teaching one another. You know, that's only a work of the Holy Spirit. I would begin to bring that stuff to people across the pulpit. And then I would lead, I would gather potential uh, microchurch or microsite pastors, and I would lead them in one myself. I'd actually be almost functioning as a bivocational pastor. I'm leading this big congregation. There's a couple thousand people. I'm a manager. I'm a CEO. I'm all that stuff that we wish that we weren't. When we, you know, signed up to be pastors, we didn't know it was going to get so business-like. But at the, off the side, I'm, I'm, I'm leading some guys that I think potentially could go out and become missional micro-church or micro-site leaders. And then I would suggest very strongly that you organize your church around internal and external microchurches. Now, external is what we're talking about, planting. Internal means that, that, that they're not growth groups, they're not home groups, they're not small groups. They're microchurches that operate inside of our church. And that is a huge shift. And when you begin to use that word church attached to what goes on in the midweek in your church, here's the kind of things that happen. I spent last Thursday night with a group of people in a huge church in Hawaii. And the church has kind of gotten away from itself. Its uh, average age is now 60 people. And yet it's one of the biggest churches in Oahu. And I meet with a bunch of guys that call themselves Band of Brothers. And they're really good guys. But you know what? How do you be a Band of Brothers if you're going to meet together in a small group of men with a curriculum for six weeks? And then you're going to take a four-week break. And then you're going to meet with a different group of men. I don't see that as a Band of Brothers. You know, the original real Band of Brothers that Spielberg made the movie about went ashore on D-Day. And they made it all the way to Hitler's bunker on foot. And they were together that whole time, and they lost a whole lot of people to dying. Can you imagine? We show up on shore on D-Day. We made it through all that mess and all the blood and all the carnage. And, well, my six weeks are up. Bye. Somebody else is coming in. It doesn't work that way. And so when, when you have curriculized small groups, um, you know, we curriculized ours, but we built the curriculum off of, you know, while the pastor was talking, what the Holy Spirit say to you. But... When, when, you, when you build it off of little videos and little six-week courses and whatever, uh, it, 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 people don't think of it as church. You start to use the word church. This is a micro church now. It's not a small group anymore. And somebody's going to be offended. They're going to get upset or, or they're going to be fearful. It's like, oh, what are you trying to do? Are we trying to turn into a cult? But I think you have to take this step in the stepping stones that I've laid out if you really want to end up functioning. And then there's a shift that comes. And this is shifting um, some responsibility, some authority, and some ego to the leaders of these micro churches. And, and to me, I want to shift communion, baptism, funeral operations, uh, weddings, baby dedications, all that stuff as much as I can to the small group. You know, I have photographs. I was going to put one in this show and I decided not to, but of, of, of our little church of less than 300 people at Hunakai uh, Beach, where Hunakai Street meets the ocean in Honolulu, Hawaii. That was our baptistry. And you, there, there's pictures of 20 people in the water baptizing one person. You know, I'm the lead pastor, and I'm supposed to do this, but I found out it's a lot smarter if I step off to the side and grin while they're all baptizing this person that they've all been ministering to, and they're suddenly taking church and, and me much more seriously, the more I gave away 
of the authority to do these ecclesial things in our church, uh, the more important I became, became to them because I was the senior equipper to what it was that they were going to do. And, and you'll never give away all of that. You'll always be doing some weddings. You know, I had to finally restrict it to I only do weddings for people who are personal friends. You'll always do funerals. That same rule applied to funerals. There'll always be some baby dedications. There'll always be communion in church. We did communion in the, in, in the what we called at that time, mini church. And we did communion in our main services. Although when we did communion in the main services, there were tables all around the auditorium and you gathered together in small groups. And we put a lot of time into this. You're gonna do it internally, you know, in the big setting, but the, the more that you can offload uh, first, you're making life easier for yourself. But the second thing is they're going to take it seriously and good things are going to happen because this is a stepping stone to somebody going outside and, and moving a microchurch outside or leave it, starting it as a microsite, whatever. And then finally, uh, I put here build, build and maintain, which I didn't do very well in the truth. Build and maintain a network of autonomous and semi-autonomous uh, microsites or microchurches. Now, when I say autonomous or semi-autonomous, I would start them as semi-autonomous. You remain in our church. You lead it some other time that doesn't interfere with your schedule in our church. Obviously, you're not going to be doing stuff internally anymore because you're going to be too busy leading this uh, this microsite that we have launched into the community, reaching a different group of people who we don't expect you to bring back to our congregation. And so you've got this semi-autonomous situation. Um, the, the leader probably tithes to the, to the launching church. And uh, it's, it's not upsetting. Family grows up. Kids are in the youth group. All of that kind of stuff goes on. You won't be able to stop some of those people from choosing to become autonomous. They're going to want to go places and do things that you didn't even tell them to do. Because the Holy Spirit is going to control this whole thing. Well, I hope that what I've offered has been useful to you. Um, I just, you know, kind of knew this whole thing. I, we never planted a whole lot of micro churches. We planted a whole lot of mid-sized churches and some grew very large, but there were some micro churches. I'm just learning so much about micro church and hoping that I'm communicating it to you in a way that is meaningful and useful. If I was doing it all over again today, micro church would become one of the major tools in, in my arsenal. Uh, I think that there is superpower here in this thing, and I hope that you're enjoying it as well. I just want to say thank you for taking time to, to watch this.